A different future starts with you. That's why GoDaddy does more than help you find a name. You can create, sell, and get found online so any small business can make a change. We need a new generation of thinking. Your way of thinking. Start different at GoDaddy.com. If you've recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today. This is an ode to the glass noodle. You may be glass only in name, but our love for you is crystal clear in every Bibigo Korean dumpling. Your tantalizing texture tickles the taste buds, and while you are see-through, the world can't help but see you. The glass noodle, one of many obsessively crafted ingredients in every plump and juicy Korean dumpling from Bibigo. Go handcrafted. Go Bibigo. Authentic Korean dumplings now in the freezer aisle. It's the Innovation Podcast with Mark Reed Edwards and Garnett Harriman. Let's start the show. Hi, it's Mark. Hey, Garnett. How are you doing? Great. How are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful. We've got a great guest with us today, Garnett. Yeah. So why don't, why don't you do the honors of introducing her? Yeah, we sure do. And I'm, I'm super excited about it. Um, this is a, a person who has had one of these storybook corporate careers and sort of straddles the fence between public and private companies and uh, her accomplishments go on and on. I'm just, I'm just going to try to keep this to, to 60, 90 seconds, but I could probably go on for several minutes. Geraldine Frage is someone who has been the president and CEO of, of some of America's most iconic brands. I'm going to just throw out a handful that I recall off the top of my head, Campbell's, Pepperidge Farms, Avon, Clark's. So she sold uh, and marketed and excelled at uh, marketing for any everything from soup to shoes to uh, mosquito repellent from, from Avon. One of my favorite pro- Avon products is their mosquito repellent. She has a super exciting project that I think we're going to talk a lot about towards the end of the interview. It's called Anytown USA, and it is all about uh, Made in America products and the, the power and, and the influence that that has on the American economy and culture. And uh, I don't want to steal any any more thunder. Without further ado, let's let's launch into it. Hi, Geraldine. Hi. How are you today? Great, great. So I mentioned a few of your uh, career highlights: Campbell's, Pepperidge Farms, Avon, Clark, and the senior corporate leadership roles. Uh, which of these leadership roles had the most impact as far as forming your personal business philosophy, and why? Well, you know, actually, the one you didn't mention that I guess I should have jumped in on was my very first job right out of college was at Procter & Gamble. And, you know, in brand management, they taught you to pretend or to act like it was your own business. And it was an iconic job. My very first job was on Pert Shampoo back when it was about bouncing and behaving hair. But... But really, that really set the foundation for me because my whole career since then has been about figuring out what people want and making it for them. And that's really the philosophy is getting into consumers' heads. And they can't always tell you straight off what they want. But if you combine data, intuition, and common sense, you can get there. And that's really, you know, the core of what I would say forms my business philosophy. I have some leadership philosophies and things like that as well, but that's really where it started. 
That is really interesting that you, you, you went right back to the one that I left out. And isn't that just funny how life works that way? I had a quick question for you about P&G because I actually have never worked for a large corporation myself. I you know, built and sold a few smaller companies and then um, went into the investment business. But all throughout my career, which is now spans 25 years, I have always heard about the training programs at places like P&G. And it sounds like that had a very seminal influence on your career. You know, I have no idea what goes on there now, but back then I, I was 22. I was right out of school and it was, it was truly amazing. I mean, they, they had a ton of young people there. Half of us were undergrads, half of us were MBAs. And they taught you everything. They taught you how to analyze research, how to do great advertising, how to analyze data, how to create a promotion that was effective, how to cut bait on things that wouldn't work, how to do a competitive attack against someone who was attacking your business, how to put together an annual plan, how to create a, a really strong brand positioning. I could go on and on and on, but they taught you everything except how to sit in a meeting because there were no meetings. You had any time you did a recommendation, you summarized it on a single sheet of paper and sent it up the line and, and hoped it came back with minimal commentary. So it was awesome training. And when you're 22 and you don't even know whether to call people Mr. Whatever or, you know, Joe, uh, they taught you that too. So they, they were great. Sounds like grad school. I, it was for me. And, and that, that's where I was going to go with it. It sounds like a combination of, of uh, a real-world MBA and I, I guess what um, a lot of the younger entrepreneurs today are actually learning from YouTube videos. <laughs> it's really, it's, you know, all, all, all of these real-world examples and like how-tos, uh, you know, in, in this amazing like corporate sanction, I think it was rotational, right? I mean, some of the, a lot of these training programs were literally, they would rotate you from division to division and, and give you this, this incredible, um, you know, amount of information that you would take forward with you into your career. Very, uh, I, I'm envious because I've never, I've never had it. So I had to sort of, uh, cobble it together. You had to go to grad school. <laughs> and even and even 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 that, I I would wager was was not nearly as effective as the P and G corporate training program. Well, there's nothing so, like yeah. hands on. I mean, it, it right. just was it was incredible. And then eventually, uh, when you were ready for the next level, you know, they threw you out in the field and made you carry a bag and be a salesperson. And you know, there's a lot of people who've never done that. And until you've actually been out in the field and been in sales, you really, really, really don't know what goes on in the real world. So that was great training as well. And talk about customer customer intimacy, right? I mean, when you're when you're doing that face to face stuff, you there's no doubt about whether whether the customer actually wants what, what you have. Oh yeah, <laughs> and and plus you need to learn how to get your uh, message down to a soundbite pretty quickly. So my um my takeaway from from a, a, w this corporate training dialogue that we're having is 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 that it it was maybe intentionally I don't know maybe unintentionally very very uh, good training for uh, entrepreneurship. I mean, it really, it seems like there's literally a one-to-one -one overlap in all of the things that you have to handle as a, as a small business owner or an entrepreneur of, of any sort, which is um, very, very cool. 
Carolyn, you've been a trailblazer during most of your career as far as shattering the proverbial glass ceiling in corporate America. L looking back on things, what non-academic and what non-work experience or experiences prepared you the most for, for the kind of success that you've had? Yeah, for that, I really have to give credit to my parents. Uh, they, they both raised, you know, I have three siblings. I have a brother and two sisters, and they raised all of us to be achievers. Um, they wanted us to, to be the best we could be, to do the best we could do. They supported us in whatever we did. Um, but they were all about hard work and, uh, you don't get anything for free kind of thing. And we were very middle-class, you know, we had a one car garage. We had one car. <laughs> uh, my dad worked all week long and half of every Saturday. Uh, you know, I, I remember years when my mother went without shoes so that she could buy us ballet lessons, that kind of thing. And, um, they, put a work ethic into each of us, uh, but also support. And, you know, they didn't differentiate between my brother and myself and my sisters. So I never had the feeling that um, as a woman, you know, there was any difference. And, you know, I grew up in the 60s and 70s. I went to college in the 80s. So it wasn't like now where when I talk to young women, they're like, what? You know, was there ever a time when, you know, women didn't compete for jobs? Yeah, there was. Uh, so I, I put that on my parents for teaching me all of those things and all of the encouragement that they gave me. But then, you know, once you get into the arena, um, I always tell when I go back to Wharton, you know, where I went to school, I tell the, the young folks, um, you know, when you first get in there, work really hard because you'd be amazed how many people don't uh, or don't show up on time even. Um, then get known for doing something really brilliantly so people will pull on you and bring you, you know, with them somewhere because they, you're known for doing something particularly well. But then after that, it, it does become about, you know, the pyramid narrows and it's about, to some degree, luck in the sense of you've got to be doing your networking and you got to have somebody, you know, pull you for an opening somewhere. And you got to keep your network up and you have to make sure you're making those connections. So I did have mentors along the way who, who delivered for me from time to time just as I had delivered for them on, on the work front. So I'm just going to re uh, reiterate what I heard. I heard family. I heard uh, teamwork and, you know, making a name for yourself or a personal brand within, within the team setting. And uh, those all make a lot of sense to me. You, you also cited one other thing, you, you know, about the difference between attitudes uh, towards women today versus maybe 20 years ago, what have you, and how, how things are generally moving in a positive direction for women and, and I assume, you, you know, for minorities uh, and uh, how corporate leadership sort of mentality is changing. But I'm, I'm curious, what would you recommend uh, if you had a bully pulpit? If you, if, if you, you have one now. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, you, you ran for president, you became president, and, and you were going to make recommendations to both political and corporate leaders about how to accelerate the pace of change. What would be your philosophy? Look, I, I, I think the problem is you can't force people to make change because then, then there's a lot of failure out there. 
the thing that is sort of tragic is there are a tremendous number of good people out there who don't get their shot. And it's almost like people would rather accept steady state or mediocre results rather than give someone who's different, whether they're a woman or a minority or whatever, their shot just because they like um, homogeneity. And I am a big proponent of diversity just because I think the more ideas you get going around a table, the more likely you are to get um, the big idea. And some people don't want the big idea. They want <laughs> status quo. So it's all about um, what are you going for and how do you achieve it? And um, But you can't force it on people because they'll reject it like a bad kidney. So I don't know what the prescription is in the end. I certainly think things are bet better, um, but it's still tough out there. Um, you know, and you know all the statistics probably better than I do. So, um, but I will tell you the one prescription I have for everybody is once you make it, you know, you're not supposed to just go through the door and then not reach back. So once you make it, right. um, and lots of people have, it's give a hand up to somebody or somebody's. And I've always been, you know, really big at being a mentor to other folks. I'm registered as an advisor back at my undergrad school, so I give advice all the time to people. And and that's all any one person can do. And, you know, I'm on a governance committee. I'm the chairman of a governance committee. I'm one of the boards I'm on. And in that role, I can make sure that our slate is diverse and that people get their shot. So it has to happen, you know, organically in that way. And and I will study, you know, what they're doing in in different countries and where they've mandated it and see how, whether they can make that happen effectively. I'm curious to see what their results are. If you've recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients. Donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today. When I was um, when I was growing up, there was something that was told to me that, that I, it took me probably a decade or two to figure out what, what they actually meant. But it was something along the lines of standing on the shoulders of giants, right? And then I, I went on to actually learn the, the whole quote. You know, if I've seen further, it's only because I've, I've been able to stand on the shoulder of giants. And it's, it's, I feel like that's very much in line with the reaching back strategy. And uh, I, I know for a fact it works. I've, I've, I've seen it work around me as I've uh, matured in my career. Some quick backstory, maybe humorous backstory for our listener. Geraldine and I have a wee bit of sort of random history, having met through a small American lifestyle brand that I, I'm a co-owner of called Karina Dresses. It was selected by the um, merchandising staff of her new startup, uh, uh, Anytown USA, which we'll we'll talk about later. And that's how we came into each other's orbit. So, when during your corporate career. Geraldine, did the notion of made in America start to become important to you? Uh, how did that come about and, and, and why, why is it so? Yeah, so I would say it started at Avon for two reasons. One was Avon's all about empowering uh, small business owners, if you will, to and lots of them, millions of them, to do well around the world. Yep. And that, you know, meeting those people and, you know, the people who don't have anything and then they earn enough to get a bike and then they can, you know, cover more territory and then they have enough to have like a card and so forth. And, and that was so powerful. 
that, of course, made in America is an evergreen concept. Of course, supporting small businesses is an evergreen concept. But that really put it on steroids for me. But also, I was there during the Great Recession, and that's when an acceleration of um, offshoring was going on in the U.S. as companies were furiously cutting costs and things like that. And then when I got to Clark's and, you know, all the shoes, virtually the entire footwear industry in the U.S., not all of it, uh, was offshored. And there was so much problems, you know, with um, different dock strikes on the West Coast and things like that. It really hit home for me what a, a colossal offshoring had happened in this country. And it wasn't that I wasn't aware of it before, but it just really was sort of in my face at that point. And so as I left there, I started poking at the statistics and looking into the data, you know, and it's down to like 3% of apparel is now made in the U.S. at this point. And meanwhile, you know, in studies by folks like the Boston Consulting Group, 80% of Americans would like to buy American, not for everything, but, um, you know, they'd like to buy it if they could. They just can't find it because when it's down to 3%, you know, if you guys, I don't know if you could turn around and reach your, the back of your shirts right now and see what your label says, but I'm betting it doesn't say made in America. Unlikely. It is, it is unlikely. And, it, and I can validate from, from, as a small business owner that, that firsthand experience, my um, co-owner and, and business partner spent many years, Sherilyn, working for Ralph Lauren and, and, and brands like that. And, uh, you know, she spent a lot of time talking to women about what they wanted. And, and one of the first things she said to me when we decided to work together on this project was almost every woman she talks to, and certainly women outside of the uh, megalopolises like, you know, New York and L.A. and San Francisco and stuff, you know, people in the, in the, in the Midwest, in the South, the Southeast, in the Northwest, uh, all, all over these, these you, you know, I guess main streets, right? Um, uh, and that'll come up again in our dialogue, I think, are wanting made in America and, and asking for it literally before they're asking for, you know, some of the sort of aesthetics that go with a, a, an item of apparel. That's a very powerful thing. Very powerful thing. So, Geraldine, you've had a very busy 2018, it looked like to me, as I sort of studied a little bit about you. And both with public and private companies, you, you joined the, the board of Haynes Brands, a, a New York Stock Exchange traded company, and they own sort of iconic brands like Champion, Haynes, Playtex, and Bali. And then it, you went to the other end of the spectrum and you, you started um, an e-commerce clearinghouse called Anytown USA. Congratulations on all of that. Thank you. Why don't we start with the public stuff and uh, I'll just throw it out. What are you most excited about um, as a, a new board member? on on Haynes Brands uh, board of directors. Well, Haynes as you know is an iconic brand and it's it's a truly wonderful company. I mean, for me what it gets me back to is a global role. Um the first half of my career was very domestic and then the second half of my career was all these international roles with Godiva International and then um Avon was clearly a global company. Um and then Clark's actually I was running the domestic business. So by joining Haynes, which it operates around the world, I get my feet back in global, which is great. But more than that, Haynes is very, very committed to corporate social responsibility. That's great. And the lengths they go to to be a good actor in the communities where they operate. 
um, is exceptional. So I'm really proud to be part of that organization. They have some really exciting things going on now with the Champion brand, which they have put back together. It was in different pieces around the world. They've reunited it. Um, what's funny is kids, as in millennials today, think that it's a new brand and it's hot, um, <laughs> whereas the rest of us know it as an iconic oh. brand. But, you know, everything old is new again and it's on fire and they're just doing, you know, super well. And I am just proud that, you know, I can serve the shareholders and, and the business. I'm a, I'm a child of the 80s and I ran uh, track and cross country and all that stuff. Uh, every single one of my uniforms for, for both practice and for the meets were, were made by Champion. Of course, <laughs> so, of course. Yeah. And, and I, I have some really strong, nostalgic, you know, positive memories about, about the Champion brand. So it's, it's, that, that's, a, that's a funny, funny occurrence that millennials will think it's brand new. Yeah, I think they're celebrating their 100 year anniversary this year. So awesome. It's one of those underrated, iconic logos, too. Yes. And, and it's immediately recognizable. I, I, yeah. I, I don't want to yeah. go off on too much of a digression, but every time, every time I see that, that C, you know, and then the, then the script after, I, I, I don't even need to read it. I actually, you know, I can, I can tell from, yeah. like, a, a, a good distance what, what exactly it's about, what it stands for, and, and that flood of memories comes back, actually. Funny. We'll get to the rest of our chat with Geraldine next time as we look at her latest project, Anytown USA, and we peer into the future. That's next time here on the iPod, the Innovation Podcast. Thanks for joining Garnett and Mark on the Innovation Podcast. Visit innovationpodcast.co to subscribe and listen to other episodes. for the greater good. Secondhand smoke doesn't. It drifts through cracks in walls, air vents, and sink drains, spreading toxic chemicals that can damage lungs. Secondhand vape also puts your lungs at risk, even with the fruity smells. Protect yourself and the people around you from these secondhand dangers. Learn how at tobaccofreeca.com.